Matthew chapter 7, if you have your Bibles, would turn with me, Matthew chapter 7, I'm going to begin with verse number 24 through verse number 27, and I'll try not to be too long tonight, I will say what the Lord has laid upon my heart, and I will do my best to be concise with my thoughts tonight, amen, Matthew chapter 7. And verse number 24, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rains came. They descended and the floods came. And the winds blew and beat upon the house. And it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And great was the fall of it. I want to preach for a little bit tonight after the storm. After the storm. Lord, help us tonight to preach what you have laid upon our heart. To speak life into every situation tonight that may seem hopeless. To help every person in the room tonight who may come into this building needing encouragement. I pray now, Lord, that the Word of God accomplishes the purpose for which you have sent it. In Jesus' name. Let everyone say amen. God bless you. You may be seated. The fact that the house stood after the storm was the point of the entire parable and passage. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't the rain. It wasn't even the flood. There was discussion of how the house was built because all of that comes into play. But the purpose is to get to the end of the story and ultimately to tell the good news that the house stood. It is not always pretty when you go through the storm. Some people handle struggle and tragedy better than others. Somebody say amen. Some handle it better. I've seen some people that handle it with such class and style that you would just, it would, it's mind-boggling to watch them handle the storm. And then there are others. There are others that absolutely amaze me at just how well they cannot handle the storm. Those who survive after the storm, it will all be determined in, in our text. It becomes very clear and, and accurate in our lives today, applicable in our lives today, that those who survive after the flood and after the storm, it will be determined by the foundation that they have built into their life. 
Because if you do not have a foundation, you will not stand through the storm. So my question to you tonight as I just begin this message for the next few minutes, I want to ask you, do you plan on surviving after the storm? Do you have intention of making it beyond the storm? I've been thinking a lot about uh, the floods and storms and rain because I, I went to Texas and uh, several people have come up and asked me how my vacation was. And uh, I, I did take uh, Tuesday before last off and went to Galveston with my family, which is about a two-and-a-half, three-hour drive across the ferry. It's kind of an event. You put your car on the ferry, and it takes you about a 15-minute ride across um, the waters over onto Galveston Island. And... Um, we rented one of those little four-seater bicycles, and uh, we we got on the bicycle, and uh, we pedaled up and down uh, the seashore, and the wind was blowing about 35 miles an hour, and uh, it was about 60 degrees, and so a 35-mile, you can put it together, uh, it wasn't necessarily an exciting time, and uh, the beach was rather empty, and uh, the wind was blowing so hard that it literally was blowing the sand off of the beach into your eyes as we were trying to drive, ride the bike up and down the seashore. But we made a memory, and it was a good time. We spent about an hour riding up and down the seashore, and um, then we retreated to one of my favorite restaurants in the whole world, and uh, we had some excellent seafood, and then we uh, went back to the ferry, and we missed the ferry, and it, uh, at 9 o'clock it shifts into only one circulation per hour, and we pulled up just as the guardrail came down, so we sat for an hour before we drove the other three hours home. And so that was the extent of my vacation. It was one day. The rest of the time I spent working uh, and uh, was, was pretty busy there. But I got to talk to a lot of people and see a lot of people and go to some places that uh, I don't normally get to go, places that I grew up. And whether you followed the news over the last three weeks or so, uh, of the events that have happened uh, along western Arkansas, uh, uh, sorry, western Louisiana, southern Arkansas, western uh, Louisiana, and east Texas, is that there was a huge um, storm that came up out of the Gulf of Mexico about three, uh, or three, maybe four weeks ago. It came up into the area and centered uh, right over uh, the heart of East Texas, Western uh, Louisiana, and the southern tip of Arkansas. It was a massive storm, and it came and set in. And the rain that they received uh, was, depending on exactly where they were in the location, at my sister's home, who lives in Hemphill, Texas, that is right on the, uh, it is on uh, Lake Toledo Bend, uh, which is in the Sabine River Basin, uh, they received 18 inches of rain in 24 hours. So if you can imagine uh, what 18 inches of rainfall can do uh, and the damage that can be done by this. Uh, depending on where they were located, there were areas that received up to 24 
inches of rain within a 24-hour period of time. If you have been in a rain that where it rains an inch an hour, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, a hundred-year flood in the Midwest uh, happens when it rains an inch an hour for four to five hours, and they call that a hundred-year flood because the flooding it does. Put that times four or five, and you have put it into perspective with the amount of water that they received. This perhaps uh, is the, it's not perhaps, it is the largest uh, rainfall in recordable history for this area. Much of this rain fell right in the heart of the Sabine River Basin and uh, right actually on uh, Lake Toledo Bend. And um, it caused all of the, the waters and the tributaries in the area, of course, all feed down to the Sabine River, which um, at uh, the south end uh, of uh, Lake Toledo Bend is a very large dam, making Toledo Bend one of the largest uh, lakes in um, anywhere in the world. It is a very large man-made man lake with um, uh, over... A thousand miles of shoreline. Uh, it is a very large lake, and uh, all of this water, of course, ran in, and um, it it caused Toledo Bend to rise at a level uh, so quickly that it shocked everybody. It caught everybody off guard, and the lake rose to an all-time high since the dam was built in the 1960s. The lake went beyond the highest level it had ever been. And for fear of the dam itself breaching, they opened the floodgates to the highest uh, uh, level that it had ever been opened before. Uh, to try to put this in perspective, the authorities were forced to open these floodgates so wide at a record level that the amount of water that was flooding through the, the floodgates of Lake Toledo Bend was three times the amount of water per minute that flows over Niagara Falls. So put that in perspective. My brother went to see uh, exactly what it was like. I saw some video of it, and he went and was there. And the power of the water, the, the floodgates were open 24 feet uh, in, in height. If you can imagine a wall of water rushing uh, with over 100 feet of head pressure, rushing 24 feet high and several hundred feet wide, the amount of water that was coming and boiling out. My brother stood a few hundred yards from the gate, and he was watching as the water was rushing into the river. And he said that as he stood there, that... It felt as if the ground itself was vibrating, that the ground itself was shaking and trembling because of the massive amount of water that was flowing through. Uh, of course, this amount, record amount of water being forced through the dam, then forced the Sabine River to rise at an unbelievable rate. Uh, people went to bed the night before who were not connected to. Uh, social media are connected to anything in the weather forecast, had no idea. They were awakened in the middle of the night with 
beating on their home. One man said, we went to bed that night and everything seemed normal. He lived downstream of, uh, of the lake. And we went to bed that night. And in the middle of the night, about 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, to somebody pounding on the door with screams coming from the door. And he got up and he opened the door. And when he opened the door, he saw that water was about to run onto the front porch of his home. He lost his cars. He lost his house. He lost everything. Just saving their life, they were rescued and thrown into boats and ran out of uh, way of the storm. The river rose to an all-time high. Entire cities for over a hundred mile stretch of the Sabine River Basin. Uh, all the way from uh, East Texas down to the Gulf Coast. Uh, entire cities were completely inundated with water. Flood waters at levels that they've never been before. These are areas that I grew up in and around. And uh, places that people had never seen flood in their life now are flooded. The city of Deweville, Texas uh, is, uh, was completely uh, flooded. Every business, every home, every road, roads, bridges, completely, uh, bridges that cross from Texas to Louisiana were completely washed out. Uh, we're talking about main highway bridges that were washed out. Uh, the river reached an all-time high, uh, breaking the record that was set in 1882 uh, by five feet. Put that in perspective. A river that generally is only about two or three hundred yards wide at its widest areas now has an expanse of over eight miles. The amount of water is unfathomable, unbelievable. Friends of ours, family members were uh, removed from their homes, had to leave their homes and their possessions, and they just had to flee for their life. The water was rising at such rapid paces that they couldn't save family heirlooms. They couldn't save pictures. They couldn't save anything. Their vehicles were lost. Their homes were lost. They lost everything, and many of them without flood insurance because of them being on a river. This is just absolutely amazing. Our friends who pastor in Deweyville, Texas, brother and sister Orange, uh, they lost their they lost their home. Their son lost a home. Um, most of the members of their church lost their homes. Everybody lost their homes. Uh, the church was built uh, on a high area, and they thought that it would not be lost. And I may some of you that may be connected with me on social media perhaps saw that I posted some uh, pictures of their church with water that is near the eaves of their church. Uh, areas that they've never seen flood, now flooded to this, this rate, destroying everything in its path. And now the waters are beginning to recede. And last week they began to open the areas, allowing uh, only uh, people who own property, property owners, could go in and begin to check on their property. And they were going by boat, and they were going by, uh, by amphibious-type vehicles to get in to be able just to check out their property and see what kind of damage was done. Some areas 
are beginning to be opened up. And by the end of last week, uh, the church in Deweyville was able, uh, the Texas district came through and brought a relief crew of over 100 people and semi-loads of items. And the men came in and they began to work on the church. My brother opened his restaurant to many of the church members and they came there to his restaurant on Sunday. And uh, after being in service Sunday before last, uh, I preached Sunday morning, my boys preached Sunday night, and in the afternoon we went with the pastor down to my brother's restaurant. And uh, we went in to eat and several of the people from the church in Deweyville and one of the pastors came uh, there, and my brother, uh, just from the goodness of his heart, was having them come and to eat free of charge, just to be a blessing to them and to encourage them. And churches have opened their arms to them. And uh, one of the neighboring churches actually uh, had Brother Orange come and preach in his church. And they invited the whole church to come, their music and everything, and said, just come use our church. You're in our church, but we're going to sit back and enjoy your service in our church. And so people are just coming through and being a blessing to them. And so as I was sitting in, at, at lunch with Brother Lewis and speaking to uh, one of the pastors that lived there in Deweyville and had lost his home, uh, I asked him some questions. And I, I asked him, I said, How, what is the attitude of the people? And he said, we are a resilient people. He said, the attitude of everybody is very positive. And people are are believing that everything is going to be just fine. And uh, he kept using the word resilient. He said, we're resilient. We, we, we have dealt with floods before. Nothing to this magnitude. But every time we deal with a flood, he said, when we think that it's never going to be like it was, it always comes back better. He said, when we think it's done for, I said, I... I, I, I had talked to some folks and I said, I can't imagine people rebuilding in Deweyville. First of all, there's not much there. Uh, but why in the world would they build back there? Why wouldn't they move five miles outside of town and get to some higher ground and build new houses? He said, this is where we were raised. This is who we are. This is how we were brought up. He said, we refuse to allow a little flood that comes through stop our life. We refuse to allow a little flood to stop us. He said, we know that when things finally get back together, they'll be better than they've ever been before. They came in and began to tear out the old walls of uh, the church, and people seemed to not be, you know, you would think people would come in with tears flowing, but instead they came in with resilience and determination saying, we're going to rebuild because there is going to be life here after the storm passes over. Now I came tonight to tell some folks that may be in a storm in your life, what kind of foundation have you built into your life? And what kind of resilience and determination have you put into your spirit? And how much have you made up your mind that no matter what the enemy throws at you or life throws at you, that you have made up in your mind that nothing is going to separate me from the love of God. I am determined that neither height nor death nor principality nor power nor things present nor things to come nor any other creature is going to be able to separate me from the love of God. 
I'm amazed at the number of people that allow things to happen in their life. And when it does, life stops. I remember uh, when I was just a young boy, probably six or seven years old, temperatures dropped one weekend. Yet It does actually get cold in East Texas about once every 25 years. And temperatures drop below freezing. And that doesn't happen a whole lot, and at least not long enough to freeze water lines and this sort of thing. Many of the houses are built with the water lines running through the attic and uh, with uh, no insulation on the water lines. And that's because normally when my family calls and says, man, it, was, it got down to 25 degrees tonight. Yeah, it touched 25 degrees for an hour, and two hours later it was back to 35 and uh, that's kind of what it does. It's quick dips and, and rises, and it doesn't have time to freeze anything. I was only a child, and temperatures dropped and stayed cold, and water lines burst in our home, and we were away for the weekend. When we got home, the entire home was destroyed. The drywall ceilings had caved in. The furniture was lost. Everything in the house was lost. And I remember my mother being so heartbroken, and she was literally physically sick for days because of it. And she said, my house will never be the same. And she was right. But when the insurance came through, she got new furniture. She got new carpet. She got new walls. She got things put back together. It turned out better in the end than when it started. Can I come tonight to tell you that there are some things in your life that you are going through that you think are going to kill you and to destroy you? But if you will hear this preacher tonight, I came to remind you that there is life after the storm. There is life after the flood in your that, that may be hitting you right now and knocking you off of your feet and making you wonder, how in the world am I going to survive? I come tonight to tell you, don't give up, don't quit, don't throw in the towel. God's got a plan that is bigger than what your plan is. Why don't somebody give God a shout of praise in the house tonight? Hallelujah. Now I know these young people, children that are in here tonight, will know about the man by the name of Noah. You know what Noah did? Noah found grace in the eyes of God. God told him to build an ark and to spare his house. And the, the flood came and he saved his house. And two by two the animals went into the ark. Why he didn't swat those mosquitoes? Never know. And so we read the story about Noah. But the missing part of the story that a lot of us don't look at is that after the flood ended that the Bible says that Noah lived 120 more years after the flood. If that settled into your spirit, somebody would have a Holy Ghost fit right about now. I said he lived through a flood, but after the storm passed over, there was 120 years of living that he did after the flood. And what he did after the flood may have been greater than what he did before the flood because it may have been the flood that prepared him for what God wanted to do after the flood. Can I tell you that the storm that you may be dealing with in your life tonight, that God may be putting something in you that when you come out the other side, you're going to be better than you were before you ever went through it. 
I was talking about one of our great young couples the other day, and I was sharing their story, a little bit of their story with somebody, and I said, oh, they're a great couple. They're an awesome couple. And I I started sharing the story, and they said, man, we need some of those good couples in our church. And I said, yeah, but let me tell you what they were when they came. When they came, they were broken. When they came, there was a lot of problems in their life. When they came, there was a lot of hurt, a lot of frustration, a lot of difficulty, a lot of struggle. But God, through his infinite wisdom, took them through the storm. And they came out after the storm. And today, their storm is turning around and ministering in the church and in the work of God. Because what you do after the storm will be greater than what you did before the storm. Because it's the storm that's putting something in you, that is putting some wisdom in you, putting some courage in you, putting some tenacity in you, putting some some resilience in you to be able to stand up and say, greater is he that's in me than he that is in the world. For my victory is greater than my storm. Five months of his life was lived during the flood in the aftermath of the flood. The Bible said that Noah lived, I said a few moments ago, I looked, I looked down at my notes without my glasses on. 120 years were built building the ark. Five months of his life during the flood and 350 years that Noah lived after the flood. See, we normally identify Noah with the flood. It's the flood of Noah. It's Noah's flood. It's Noah's problem. It's Noah's difficulty. It's Noah's struggle. But we fail to notice that the majority of his life was lived after the flood, not even during the construction of the ark. In Cincinnati, they're reconstructing a life-size Uh, version of the ark. It's going to be neat. Hopefully, all of you will be able to go and see it when it is completed. I saw a little clip on it on the internet the other day. It's a really neat sounding uh, thing. It would be a great trip to be able to go and take and be able to see and, and we, we celebrate the ark, and we celebrate Noah building the ark, and we celebrate the, the saving through the storm, but we fail to, to celebrate what happens in the 350 years after the storm. You see, a lot of people, even in this room tonight, are known by your storm. You're known by your storm. It's the family that lost their home. It's the marriage that ended in divorce. It's the man that got hurt by what somebody said. It's the family that got broken by the affair. It's the person that got hooked on drugs. It's the individual that got hurt in the church. It's the person that can't shake their addiction. It's the storm. It's the storm. It's the storm. But I came tonight to prophesy to somebody that God's got a plan on the other side of your, oh, I feel the Holy Ghost tonight. There is a life on the other side of your storm that is going to be greater than anything you have experienced up to now. I feel the Holy Ghost in the house. Somebody can receive the beginning of your new life tonight, your new hope tonight. I've watched some of you go through it and you've been through it and been through it and been through it. But I feel like somebody is about to come out the other side. Your storm is the defining 
is the defining point of your life for so many people. I refuse to allow my storms to define me. I refuse to allow my storms to define you. But here's why, here's why storms define us. Because storms bring attention into your life. Ministers all across our fellowship know what's going on in Deweyville. They're sending donations, sending offerings, sending supplies, sending labor crews, building it back. Our wonderful organization and fellowship of ministers are determined that this church is going to be rebuilt with no pressure on these families. For many of these families are rebuilding their own homes without insurance. They have no extra money to be able to give toward a building project. And so they are determined that we're going, and there's all sorts, and people are going to talk about it. And they'll get up, no doubt, at general conference, and they'll talk about the wonderful things that have happened. They'll celebrate it. Look what the organization has done, and look what churches have done that have come together. We not only send missionaries, but we help churches that are in need. And we've rebuilt this church without them being in debt. And we've this, and we've done that. And the church, if they're not real careful, will become defined by their storm. I know their pastor, and he's not going to let that happen. Because I got a feeling that somebody's going to get some determination in them to say, We're going to get beyond this storm. We're going to get beyond this storm. Oh, I feel the help of the Lord tonight. I wish I could preach this like I feel it in my spirit. Somebody tonight may be going through the storm. Don't let this storm define you. Don't let this storm name you. Don't let this storm define who you are. In the name of the Lord, you start talking about the other side of the storm. You start singing when the storm passes over. You start talking about when it's all on the other side. We're going to be celebrating the victory of God. Everybody in Noah's day lived during the building of the ark, but they didn't survive the storm because they were disobedient. The prerequisite to surviving the storm has everything to do with your obedience. If you're not in a storm tonight and this is just a message that you feel like it's just being preached, I'm going to speak to you too. You better put a foundation under you. Because you may not be in a storm today, but your day of storm will come. You may not be going through it today, but it's going to come to you. Oh, you're a gloom and doom preacher. No, I'm not. I'm preaching to you what I've learned in life. It rains on the just and the unjust. You're not going to get good enough, smart enough, handsome enough, or wealthy enough to not go through another storm. If you live long enough and God tarries long enough, you're going to deal with another storm in your life. You better put a foundation under you. You better get the Word of God in you. You better get some things in you that you are determined, I'm going to get beyond this storm. I refuse to live by this storm and be defined by this storm. you got to get a foundation under you. They all lived through the building of the ark. They didn't survive the storm. Nobody lived after the storm because they didn't prepare before the storm. Sometimes 
God sends an evangelist through a revival service by or a special service. And it comes through, and it's nothing more than the rescue mission knocking on the door, waking you up at 2 o'clock in the morning saying, you better get out of your house. Because if not, you won't be able to get out of here in the next three or four hours. This river is rising at three feet per hour and the water's already lapping up on the steps of your home and in the next two or three hours, your house will be completely underwater. You gotta come now. Let me grab. You don't have time to do anything. All you gotta do is just run to the altar and get a hold of God. And this is a rescue. This is a saving mission. God sends those services to us and he comes to just save us and just to bring us out. I don't think tonight is one of those services that I'm coming to try to rescue somebody. But I'm coming tonight to try to challenge somebody. Get a foundation under you and you are going to make it out the other side. And if you're in the storm, just get a little faith to know God's going to bring me through the storm. There's some people, they like the attention of storms. They, they, they like the attention of storms. They love people running up to them and giving them big hugs and whining and talking about the storm. I'm not making light of people's storms. We all, we all need encouragement in the storm. None of us, this platform is not excused from storms. And although there are those in this church that's always giving out to others, some of those giving to others the most, are some of the same people that need some of the help when they go through the storms. I preached a little bit about it this morning. We need to be our brother's keeper. We need to help one another and encourage one another and pray for one another. Help one another get through. But I know some people that fall so in love with the storm and the attention that the storm gives that all they want to talk about is the storm. They come out the other side of the storm bitter because they love the attention that bitterness brings in their life. My wife and I was talking about a couple the other day that's been three or four years out the other side of their storm and all they want to talk about is their storm. And they're wondering why they're struggling and having more trouble in their life. I'll tell you why. It's because you didn't handle the storm very well. I'm praying for them, doing everything I can to help them, but there's not a whole lot I can do until they learn how to handle their storm. Because their next storm may be from the Lord to try to help them and teach them how to handle a storm. And if they fail that test, they're going to go into another storm. The reason some people just go from storm to storm, oh, why is it on them? Because they haven't learned how to live through a storm. God's trying to teach them a lesson through a storm. And when they learn how to be faithful in the storm and they learn how to worship, People come in down in the mully grubs. Oh, what's wrong with sister so-and-so? She's sitting on her hands and whining and she's not worshiping. And what's wrong? She doesn't know how to handle a storm. But when you see that faithful child of God that walks in and they've had a bad week and the family's not doing well and their health is not well, but they can come in and say, I've still got a praise. I've still got worship. I've still got a voice to give him honor. I'm going to make it through this. I'm not looking for attention on me. Let's put attention on him that person's going to get out of the storm I've seen those that love the attention of the storm and then I've seen those that really go through the storm it's not just attention 
But they get in a storm that is the trial of their life. It's situations that they had no control over. It's wearisome. It's troublesome. I've asked. I've asked God. I try not to question God, but I've asked God. One of our most faithful young couples in this church, Brother Jason and Sister Dasa Emery, I've questioned God. Lord, I don't understand. God, I don't know. But you know what? I'm still believing God. This too's going to pass. And I know enough about them to know when it does, God's going to receive glory. But let me tell you, when insurance threatens to cancel, when the bills stack up that they can't pay, they remain faithful. When a lot of folks would have quit and given up, they've been a great example to this congregation how you handle a storm. I'm not talking about a little storm that comes and goes, but I'm talking about a storm that comes and stays. But I want to speak a word of faith tonight. This too is going to pass. This storm's not going to last always because my God is greater. My God is greater. My God is greater than the storm. My God is greater. It may be the trial of your faith. It may be the fight of your life tonight that you're in. You may be in a situation you feel like, I just don't know if I'm going to ever get through it. I want to preach to you just for a couple of more seconds tonight and tell you this storm's going to pass. Throw your hands in the air where you are. I feel the help of the Lord in the house right now. Somebody just call on the Lord where you are tonight. Call on the Lord where you are tonight. Call on the Lord tonight. Come on, the storm's going to pass. The storm's going to pass. The storm's going to pass. Somebody just call on the Lord right where you are tonight. I open these altars. If somebody's wanting to pray, these altars are open, but we need to seek the Lord for a few moments tonight.